The Trouble with Transformation, a serialised podcast by Alison Whip. An eager band they made, the Spice Girl and her gang, they had a brilliant recipe for dethroning the Golden Girl, and they didn't mind taking their time to bake it. They took up jam pots and pipette drops to collect ingredients from the school science lab. They bought dishwashing liquid and food colouring from the local supermarket. Spice Girl's mother was displeased at her daughter purchasing a non-eco-friendly brand. But how could the Spice Girl possibly explain it? Ethical liquid simply doesn't foam so much. Finally, the day arrived. The laws were set. The terrifying twins laid out the bait. There, they told the Golden Girl, pointing toward the dark tunnel where the drinking fountains lived. You've got that bit of spice running scared and she's hiding in there. The girl with the golden touch was aglow. Today she would show the school who was most brilliant of all. She wasted no time. She ran into the drinking shed, looking to corner her prey. But there was no one there. Something tugged at the golden girl's ankle. She glanced down. It was some sort of tripwire. Her gaze shifted to the silver trough where the drinking fountain sat. Seven beakers of liquid above, seven large flasks below, each a different colour. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. The tripwire drew taut, the beakers tipped on an angle, pouring their contents into the flasks. The golden girl's eyes widened, she turned, just in time to see the many eyes of her classmates, eagerly looking on. The rainbow wave of foam curved above her head, and when it fell, the girl with the golden touch came crashing down. Chapter 39. Flight and Forgiveness I fidgeted and squirmed trying to figure it out. I needed to call Kat. If a meteor storm was about to rain down on us, she needed a heads up. And if she had to learn the truth about you, she should at least hear it from me first. I pulled my phone from my pocket and hit her number. Dead silence. Mr. J glanced over his shoulder. Everything okay, Freckles? I smiled as best I could. Just letting Kat know we're on our way. Oh, Mr. J laughed pointing out the window at the lonesome landscape. You won't get a signal out here. You'll have to call when we're closer to Brisbane. Danny shot me an inquisitive look. Cat, I mouthed. He nodded and went back to quizzing Betty on the principles of her science fair entry, the no staples stapler. So both sides of the paper are oppositely charged and want to stick together? I wonder how your dad isolated the charge to the top corner of the page and how long the effect lasts. I left them to it. As we drew closer to Brisbane, I tried a few more times. On the last try, I got signal, but it went straight to voicemail. I hung up. This wasn't a voicemail kind of conversation. I chewed my lip, checking the time. 
Cast Qigong session would have started, but I had to keep trying. I also had the added problem of privacy. Now that we were on the sealed roads, the roar of Freya's engine had died down to a rumbling purr. Mr J and Bruce could hear what we were saying, and I couldn't risk Mr J finding out that we'd switched machines. He might call Mr Bell. When the glittering glass windows of the exhibition centre finally twinkled into view, I let go of the tight ball of breath I'd been holding. Dad? I don't know if your travels have ever taken you to the south bank of the Brisbane River, but if so, you'd know there's no mistaking the Brisbane Exhibition Centre. Something about that funky white and blue caterpillar building, carving its way through the grey high-rises, cheered me up. We'd arrived. Somehow, I'd make it okay. Thanks, Bruce, I said as he pulled Freya to a stop in the car park. I popped my seatbelt and started clambering over Danny to reach the door. Gee, where are you going? He called as I opened the door and leapt onto the pavement. I gotta go, desperate. I did a little on-the-spot wee dance. I'll see you inside. Then I ran. I burst through the main doors, pulling out my phone and bringing up Kat's number. The main foyer was packed. I nudged through the sea of coloured shirts, pleated skirts and shiny black shoes. I winced and tried to block out the suffocating blanket of body spray, sweat and shoe polish. At one point I looked down and saw a huge eye staring back. A tentacle here, a tentacle there. The floor was some sort of mural. A giant octopus, or mythical kraken, poised to swallow us all up. My stomach clenched, acid bile burning at the back of my tongue. The stifling air, the urgency to call Cap. I needed to get out of there. I broke through the crowd as the building narrowed into a corridor. Where could I go? On one side there was a door with a no entry sign. On the other side were the toilets. Ahead there was a checkpoint that said, competitors only, access tags must be shown. I looked down at my non-existent access badge, then took a resigned step towards the toilets. Ginger? Ginger Jones? A voice carried over the hum of the crowd. I froze, an electric chill running up my spine. That voice, it couldn't be. Oh, but it was. My nightmares were powered by that voice. I slowly turned to face the one person I'd hoped to never see again. Kim Christensen, I said, plastering a smile on my face, heart hammering. She stood less than a metre from me, a human embodiment of bad memories. Wow, what a surprise. Don't tell me, you've gone all science geek at St Mary's. Kim laughed, a tinkly little laugh that made the hairs on my arms spring up. Don't be silly, she said. I'm here playing assistant for my boyfriend Peter, the tall blonde one over there in the lemon shirt and khakis. Hard to miss. I cast a disinterested glance towards the foyer, catching a glimpse of yellow amongst the patchwork of uniforms. Cute. Well, good luck today. Determined to end the conversation on a positive note, I took another step toward the toilets. Kim scooted round to head me off. Who are you here with? She leaned in, her inquisitive eyes an inch from mine. I didn't know your chemistry skills advanced beyond bubbler trough pranks. 
my thighs trembled. An urge to push her aside flashed neon in my brain, but there was nowhere to run. I looked back toward the crowd and saw Danny, Betty and Mr Jansen. They were almost at the front of the rego line. I'm with them, I said, pointing. Kim craned her neck to see. Betty Jansen! Her eyes gleamed, an amused curl to her lip. That's who you're hanging out with these days. Who's the guy? Is he your boyfriend? No, I said, more sharply than intended. I mean, Danny's my friend. You don't know him. He transferred after you left. I'm just here to help him while he's on stage. I stopped babbling. My neck prickled. I was hot, uncomfortable. Interesting, Kim said, pushing a thick strand of golden blonde hair over her shoulder. Evil had never looked so good. With her lustrous hair and effortlessly tanned skin, Kim glistened like Jarrah honey. You know, Kim said, breaking through my thoughts. I was hoping we'd bump into each other again one day. My palms started to sweat. Really? I cast a glance back to Danny and the Jansons. Danny was looking over, a small frown on his face. I thought about mouthing, help me but I didn't want to give Kim the satisfaction. She stepped into my line of vision, meeting my gaze with a steely smile. I've had a lot of time to think about what happened between us. For a while, I really hated you for what you did. A snort escaped me. (laughs) What I did? Right. Okay. I lifted my chin and met Kim's eyes, the memory taste of toilet water on my tongue. You threw toilet-soaked paper missiles at me. What did you expect? I get it, Kim said, after a hanging moment. I probably deserved it, to some extent. Maybe not to the degree you dished it out, but I'll admit I gave you a hard time. She chewed her lip thoughtfully, then added. St Mary's is all about forgiving and all that. How about we put the past in the past and end all this madness? She stuck out her hand. I forgive you. Do you think you could forgive me? I blinked, stared at her outstretched hand. Wow. Okay. My voice was a rasp, my brain struggling to process Kim's words. Sure. I guess. Kim gave a short squeal. She pulled me into her arms and smothered me under a bone-crushing hug. Now, she said. Doesn't that feel better? Better was not the word for it. I politely but firmly extracted myself. Thanks, Kim. It's been very... I hesitated. What had it been? It's been... eventful. Seeing you again. Not being rude, but I have to get back to my friends. Kim took a step back toward the bathroom, nodding her head in the direction of her feet. Aren't you headed for the toilets? I waved for her to go on. The moments passed. I still needed to call Cap, but that would have to wait. In case you're in any doubt, Dad, let me say this. No way was I ever going to follow Kim Christensen into another toilet block. Not for as long as I lived. I caught up with Danny as he was peeling out from the crowd. 
The poor guy was hugging the box with your machine in it to his chest while trying to squeeze his way through. When he reached me, he jutted his chin toward the now-empty toilet doorway. Was that who I think it was? I nodded. The very same. So bizarre. I never in my life thought I'd see her again. The legendary Kim Christensen, he said, falling into step with me as we headed toward the competitor checkpoint. I've always wondered what she looked like. I've heard that story about her in the bubbler foam so many times. I feel like I already know her. She looks different to how I imagined. Maybe because she was dry, I said with a sly smile. Danny laughed. I had a sudden realisation and looked round. Where's Betty and Mr J? Danny grinned. They went past you while you were caught up with Kim. Betty thought she heard something rattling loose after the car journey, he said, with a wink. Mr J had the bright idea that he and Betty should visit the tinkering booths and do some last-minute checks. He pointed beyond the checkpoint to the little row of pop-up marquees. I matched Danny's grin. Mr. Jansen was behaving exactly to plan. So that leaves us free to set up without Mr. J hovering, Danny said. He grappled one-handed with the box and pulled out a lanyard with the other. He hung it around my neck. Here's your pass. We're all good. Great, I said, reaching for the machine. I can carry that. I poked my tongue sideways. He might drop it. Gee, thanks, G, he said. But he handed it over. I was about to suggest that we navigate our way to a quietish corner so I could call Cap. But as we drew up to the checkpoint, someone called out our names. We turned. Look, Danny said, pointing. Sean's coming through the rego crowd. I think he's trying to call us back. I scanned the foyer. Sure enough, Sean was gesturing for us to join him, hands scooping the air in big frantic waves. So much for discretion. My eyes darted around the crowd. No sign of Brian yet, or his goons. I turned to Danny and winced. Would you go and see what he wants? I don't think I could handle right now, not with all the stuff we've got going on and having run into Kim I've got love in my heart Christensen. Speaking of whom, Kim chose that moment to emerge from the toilets. I stiffened. Danny followed my gaze and grimaced. He looked from Kim to Sean, then back to me. Go, he said urging me forward. As I hurried toward the checkpoint, he called out, Don't you drop that thing? I looked over my shoulder and poked my tongue at him. At the competitor's checkpoint, an attendant signalled for me to stop, examined my pass, and pointed to the great hall entrance that was currently blocked with a portable no-entry gate. You get two bells, he said. One in 20 minutes for competitors. You guys enter the great hall first so you can get set up. In 40 minutes, a second bell will ring. That's when we start letting in the audience. I was about to ask for suggestions on where I could make a phone call when I saw Betty and Mr. Jansen emerge from one of the tinkering tents up ahead. Thanks, I said to the attendant and moved off. He gave me a vague wave, then turned his attention to the next lot of competitors. Mr. Jansen and Betty hadn't seen me yet. I couldn't risk Mr. J finding out that we had your machine. Plus, I had to reach Cap. Just beyond the blocked-off Great Hall doors, a couple of kids who didn't look much older than me disappeared through a nearby entrance marked staff only. I could be staff. Why not? I squared my shoulders and followed them. 
When they emerged on the other side, the deafening buzz of the crowd went suddenly and blissfully quiet. To my left, there was a room, presumably for the staff, then a set of lift doors to the right. I called the lift and went up, just as I'd hoped, the upper level was clear. The hallway was a bit too open. I couldn't risk getting chucked out of the building while I was in the middle of a life-changing conversation with my mum. Halfway down was a door to the Great Hall, and this one wasn't blocked off. Perfect. I ambled along, lugging your machine in my arms. Then I pushed through a large set of double doors and stepped through.